0: Okay, I'm ready to go. Where are you? Yeah, let's do her. <sighs> uh, flamethrower. <laughs> yeah. Let's rock. Anyway. Hello and welcome. Oh, right in the middle of a burp. That's good. I'm okay. S- no, no, no. Now. Sorry. That was a
1: snort. That was a comedic snort.
0: Whatever it was. It sounds like you burped. So well,
1: you um, know what? Just, just do the intro.
0: Okay, Homer, here we go. Hello and welcome to we came from the 80s. I've forgotten our mouth. <laughs> Jesus, it's late and I'm tired. Um, The
1: podcast where we talk about movies that we thought were cool. I'm not
0: your host, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. (laughs) Hello, oh, fuck off. Hello and welcome to We Came From The 80s, the podcast where we talk about movies that we mostly liked. Mostly. See, I had something planned. (laughs) I'm your host, Farron, and I'm joined tonight remotely, as always, with Adam. Hello.
1: Hello, Farron.
0: Yeah, it's late. We're going to do this a day late, but we're going to get it done. So we are talking about Aliens, which premiered on the 18th of July, 1986. It was directed by James Cameron course we've done him before we did terminator uh it was written by james cameron dave giller walter hill and it's based on characters created by dan o'bannon and ronald schusett who i assume wrote alien c giller. uh it stars sigourney weaver who's the only character to come over from the first film carrie Henn, who played the uh the kid michael bean paul Reiser, lance hendrickson bill paxton and jeanette goldstein who plays vasquez This reminds Ah. me of Manny Lopez, who plays uh, Sumitoy, the warrior from the East. Like, it's (laughs) just, whatever. Um, And this was, uh, not surprisingly at all, this was rated R. Uh, It was made on a budget of 18.5, which is shockingly low. uh, When you consider that there is not a single set that could be filmed on location. Every last set had to be built from the ground up.
1: Built from the Uh, ground up and not reused.
0: Yes, and everything that like the camo had to be specially made all the props have to be made the only thing on that entire ship i could see beyond like obvious things like coffee cups that wasn't purpose made was that little uh, perpetual motion thing that oh, you see i yes. playing with because yeah. i literally have the same one on my desk do you uh, yeah they're easy to get things like that you get at like amazon for 10 bucks they just mm-hmm. uses a nine volt battery and a magnet there um that's all they are uh so yeah so for 18.5 million bucks which again is is incredibly low they made 131.3 million wow so yeah and and understandably so like the i didn't look up the uh the, the figures for alien but i promise you they were not that high
1: guaranteed not
0: um and of course the version That we watched is really the the only version that's been shown for almost 25 years now, which is the director's cut, which is Mm -hmm. like 20 minutes longer. There's whole chunks of that movie that are added, not just a bit here and a bit there. Entire scenes. Nothing changes context, but they just add a lot more. And I think some of it was in response to criticism when the movie came out. Okay. Okay. Like, one thing that uh, Roger Eber complained is they don't give a single moment in the script f- to show Ripley contemplating all the things that she's lost.
2: Mm. So
0: they went and added that scene before the hearing where, you know, she's sitting in that, that uh, like the sort of the artificial greenhouse room. Right, yeah. And then they show her the printout of, of her dead child who has like, mm-hmm. died at age 66, which I can't help but think is shockingly low. But, uh, you know, they never give any details. Uh, none of that was there. None of that was there.
2: Okay. Um,
0: yeah. And, you know, I saw this film. So 86, I would have been 11 years old. I saw this when it came out. Like, obviously not in the theaters. But I saw this. I'm sure we rented it. I'm sure I watched it on a uh, Super Channel. My parents had no issue with me seeing movies like this. Because like most children of the 80s, we understood, you know, it's just a movie. Like they say, it's just ketchup. It's not blood. Yeah the pearl clutching mothers of America had not yet ruined movies (laughs) the way they, well, that's why I'm sorry. That's why cartoons in the nineties are garbage because, and you know, and they're so, they're so gentle Mm -hmm. because, you know, angry moms got in the way. Yeah. Uh, And, and the same, you know, but this movie, like there was no one I like, well, I mean, most guys anyway, there wasn't anyone I grew up with who hadn't seen this film. I mean, mean?
1: that's, that's perfectly understandable. Like alien in itself was just something that shook absolute cinematic um history
0: it was yeah, well, incredible it was the first, Yeah, it was the first serious science fiction horror film yeah there are plenty of other films like it like the thing from another world which mm. is a really good 50s film i really enjoy it but it's the same thing you know an alien with people trapped in an area and in this case i think it was the arctic and of course you know they remade that into the thing which you and i yeah. did same thing it's the same type of movie but alien was the first one that was genuinely scary and terminator was the same like cameron took a science fiction movie and made it a horror movie. And he did the same Mm -hmm. here. Aliens is a horror movie that also happens to have a lot of action in it.
1: Yeah. Aliens. I found it's, it's a horror movie right up until the point that the guns start firing. I, when I was watching this, your voice was in the back of my mind that, um,
0: Oh, that's always good.
1: Well, no, 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 it's something burn that you've things, said repeatedly.
0: Burn things, sorry, carry
1: on. Not when you tell me to do that, that's different <laughs> times. Um, no, it's something you've said repeatedly on the podcast, I think it was um, a Hitchcock quote, maybe? Uh, a gun left on the table is suspense, a gun fired is action, or Actually, something to that effect.
0: that's a the thing. Yeah, the, the, a gun seen in the second act must be fired in the third. Yeah, no, um, uh, Hitchcock's thing was... Uh, the bomb under the table. The bomb under the table the is question. suspense, the bomb exploding is action. Yes, thank you. The idea is you always get more out of the bomb ticking than you do Mm -hmm. of the bomb going off because that breaks the tension.
1: Yes, Uh, but that was what I had in the back of my mind for the first, I don't know, third half of the movie until you actually get to the point where, you know, the action starts happening.
0: Yeah, essentially where Vasquez screams, let's rock, and the film changes. That's actually one of my big complaints about the director's cut is all the stuff you see on the colony before the Marines arrive, that is all added every last bit of it, oh, and that includes seeing Newt with her parents and the and the father having the the thing on mm-hmm. like the face hugger all of that is added, and I think it kind of ruins the film because right, because before your first view of the colony is. Mm-hmm. The Marines. So you have to interpret what happens. You mm. have to imagine it. And the first time you see the colonists is when they go down into the depths of the reactor and you see the hive. Right. So I actually think some of the tension is broken by those scenes being added.
1: I can understand that. But I also, you know, you got to think that you're going into a movie called Aliens, the sequel yes. to Alien. Mm-hmm. I mean, that I. how much... How much tension is there by breaking that, by showing the audience something that they already know going into this?
0: But that's the thing. We already know how the alien starts because we Mm -hmm. saw it. I mean, the thing with Mm -hmm. the one character having with the chest bursting scene in the cafeteria on the Mm -hmm. Nostromo, right? Ripley's ship. That's one of the most famous, one of the most iconic scenes in cinema because it was so shocking. So we all know the life cycle of the alien having seen the first movie. So why show it again? We know what's going to happen. We know about the derelict vessel. We know about the facehugger. You yeah. know, we know about all of this. And it doesn't really explain anything anyway, because we don't know where the, where, where the queen comes from.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: She just is there cranking these eggs out. And that's fine. But where'd the queen come from? You mm. know what I mean? Because the aliens can't reproduce on their own. They don't each produce a new facehugger. They have to come from eggs. So. Right. All the stuff we see, all this extra stuff of of Newt's father being dragged in—that doesn't explain where the queen came from. What did mm-hmm. they send more people back to the ship? Did they all come back with face huggers? You know what I mean? Like, how stupid are these people? It's almost better to leave it. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because I had seen the film so many times in the theatrical cut that the director's cut I still find jarring. Okay. Like when I bought the when they released the Alien Quadrilogy, which I is a stupid term. Uh, you know, Alien, Aliens, Alien Three, uh, the director's cut of which, by the way, I maintain is the best of the four. And then Alien Resurrection, which was oddly enough written by uh, Joss Whedon, uh, which okay. is weird to think of. Yeah. Of those four films, each of them came with the director's cut and the theatrical cut. I kept the, the theatrical. I th- sorry. I threw out the theatrical cut of Alien Three because it's garbage. I threw out the director's cut of Aliens. Okay. But that's what's available online. Well. So that's what we got, the director's cut. But you know, I, I still like this film. Like it's yeah. it's a rough film. Like it's it's super intense and mm-hmm. you know, like I I went back and I read Roger Ebert's review and he gave it three and a half stars, despite the fact that he didn't like it. Uh, and and I actually found a paragraph that sort of says this perfectly. He wrote, I don't know how else to describe this. The movie made me feel bad. It filled me with feelings of unease and disquiet and anxiety. I walked outside and I didn't want to talk to anyone. I was drained. I'm not sure aliens is what we mean by entertainment. Yet I have to be accurate about this movie. It is a superb example of filmmaking craft. Mm -hmm. And he's absolutely right. It is. James Cameron, I would argue one of the great technical directors. Yeah, I don't think he has the vision of a Scorsese or a Francis Ford Coppola or a Spielberg or even a George Lucas. But from a technical standpoint, he's magnificent, and this film is an incredible achievement, technically speaking. Look, uh, I, he made this on a on a budget of eighteen point five million. Yep, think of how many movies we've seen that cost fifteen million. Yep, you know, and that are uh, just hot garbage. Well, yeah, or hot garbage, or even just like the really good ones. I mean, you think of like uh, Clue. That was made for fifteen million. right There's they they built one big set, but it was all normal stuff, mm-hmm. right? There's nothing like they probably bought the furniture somewhere.
1: Yeah, you could car- run out to a, a bargain store and pick up most of the stuff.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, some of it was pretty impressive, but they didn't have to. They didn't have to invent space pool. They wouldn't bought a billiards table. Yeah, you know what I mean. They didn't have to invent space alcohol. They wouldn't bought like alcohol bottles or probably drew them from from the properties room but here everything had to be made you know m- made custom almost everything mm. and he did it for pretty low budget filmed it beautifully lit it beautifully the music's incredible he really pulled this off
1: yeah there's there's nothing about this film that's not absolutely gorgeous like there's a lot of scenes where you can see oh okay this is obviously a model being manipulated in front of a painted backdrop but oh, that yeah. painted backdrop is never not stunning
0: yes absolutely it is
1: Absolutely amazingly done, all the models are so incredibly detailed, and mm-hmm. i I want to say vibrant, but that's not the word. It just no. just bursting with detail, I guess, yeah,
0: they look realistic, yeah, I had no trouble imagining that somewhere they have an a p c parked, mm-hmm. or the drop ship is something that they built, yeah, like you know that could fly
1: yeah, no the the only time I think that I had a moment where i went hang on that's weird is is with the drop ship when the wings fold out of it because if they fold out the way that you show them they have to be on an offset to each other
0: yeah but yeah that one is always a niggling a
1: weird... little thing yeah they should have opened
0: at the same time it was weird exactly. um i actually had a model of that when i was a kid it was like a 65 dollar model it was super expensive for whatever wow. reason um Uh, And I remember thinking that, you know, you could have the the wings open or closed. I said, well, God damn it. I'm not going to rebuild this. So I built them out and like 65 bucks for a plastic model in the eighties was a lot of damn money. Um, But it was one of the first, I had that thing for decades, but it was one of the first models I ever really took the care to build. But, you know, everything looked realistic. The guns looked realistic, even though Mm. if you look at it, it's actually a Thompson machine gun and a spas 12 shotgun with an outer shell. That's okay. what the pulse rifle is. Ah. Uh, someone figured that out and they built and you can build an airsoft version. What they do is they get the Tommy they get a Tommy gun airsoft and a SPAS 12 shotgun airsoft and they modify mm. them. Uh, okay. That's all they are, you know, but it, I mean the flamethrowers looked realistic. Those ridiculous guns that that Frost and Vasquez had, they were weird but they looked realistic because mm-hmm. they were on what then was a new concept the steady cam rig. Okay. Right? Uh, and we think of the steady cam now. That's when you put on the rig uh, yeah. and it's got the camera and it doesn't move. That was a huge thing in the 80s. I remember when they talked about it, like finally you can go downstairs without having to set up like rails. So that's what this was. It's essentially a steady cam rig that they put the gun on, but it, it all looks very realistic. Like there's nothing about their gear that didn't look realistic. You know, the soldiers come off as absurd, but we'll talk about that. Well, but
1: Yeah, but that's characters.
0: Know, but from a technical standpoint, James Cameron did a magnificent job. I agree. Uh,
1: Absolutely agree.
0: And, but he did the same in, in, in Terminator, that future looked real,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: even though he used lasers and, you know, robot skeletons at no point did you look at it and go, yeah, that's bullshit. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: I mean, there was, there was like, there was the one scene where the Terminator in his, just his uh, exos, just the skeleton was coming down the hall at them. And it was very clearly uh, a stop motion model. But other than that, like this guy knows how to do technical sci-fi visuals and do them well.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, Man. I don't think that that gets exemplified quite as much in this film as with the power loader. Yes, like the power loader is immaculate. The first I because this was actually the first time that I had watched Aliens. Really? Um, yeah, it's you've just you've
0: never seen this before.
1: No. Wow. You know, frankly, I've I've just never been much of a horror guy. I I've always appreciated the Alien franchise for what it is. It just never Have is you seen one any that, of
0: them. Have you seen Alien?
1: Uh, for no, reason? I've never no. I haven't sat down and actually watched them.
0: But there's I, no way you don't know what the Xenomorph is and the Facehugger no, is. Yeah,
1: No, yeah. and I also, I mean, I'm, I'm to the point where I know, okay, there's there's arguments about what should be called a Xenomorph and what isn't because of things that are said, in this, but that's, yeah, that's yeah, a whole yeah, other yeah. thing. But when the first time I saw the power loader and actually saw Ripley get into the thing mm-hmm. and they had a full shot of her in the power loader moving, yeah. the I could only think, that is astounding that they managed to build this thing, obviously probably out of like foam core and PVC pipe and then painted it. Well, I I wound up looking it up and I'm pretty, pretty sure that that was what they said they used was foam core and PVC pipe, but that they made it, that somebody could walk around in it and actually have it work. And that blew my damn mind.
0: And it looks realistic. Like you think you you sort of think to yourself, some construction guy out there, like some construction engineer out there is going to think, why can't I build that? Yeah. Like, what is stopping me from building that? And it's probably a thousand safety issues, including will it rip the poor operator's arm off of it, Malfunction. Yeah. <laughs> you know, little details like that, but, but it, it's there, it's what it you looks might... plausible.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's what you would think of as, what is a forklift 200 years in the future?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, and by the way, they had normal forklifts there. You could see one in the background, uh, just a wheeled forklift. Uh, there yeah, was, but... I think.
1: But yes. this is the better version.
0: <laughs> of course, of course. So, you know, again, this is, this is the mastery of, of uh, James Cameron. Yes. You know, and even like as much as I sort of people sort of sneer at Avatar and I go, oh, hey, look, it's Dances with Wolves and, um, you know, Last Samurai, both superior films. Avatar looks amazing. Why does yeah. it look amazing? Because it's James Cameron. Yeah. This guy, I would love to team James Cameron up with some incredible writer. And some incredible director of actors. Right. Like I would like to see Spielberg and James Cameron do a film together. That'd be something. The problem is James Cameron, my understanding is, is a wee bit of a ego and that would never happen. But can you, can you imagine him and Spielberg uh, collaborating on a film? Co-directors?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if you want to make that film, you've got the most realistic, believable lived in world that we've ever seen in a film ever. Yeah.
0: <laughs> with, with characters you deeply care about. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, why don't we go through it and, yep. and see what we see and go from there? So, it starts with just the title sequence, like in just the word aliens, just sort of slightly, it sort of comes into focus and it comes into focus in a very ominous way. Yeah. It gives that feeling that like you are in a horror film. And then immediately we cut to just this starfield with the lifeboat from the Nostromo, which of course is all that's left of this massive cargo vessel from the first film. And we, you know, we look inside it and it looks just like it did in, you know, aliens or sorry, in alien, the first film. And we see that she and her cat Jonesy are in sort of this, uh, I'm not sure what you call it. Hypersleep. I think they call it. Yeah. Hypersleep. Um, yeah. And, another ship picks it up and there's this really cool thing where this sort of robotic arm with a welder cuts right through the door. Again, every time I watch that, I look for the seam. Mm-hmm.
1: You can't see where, it.
0: You can't see it. And no. I'm not sh- And there's no way that was CG that would not have been possible back then. So I'm not sure how they pulled it off, but it looks realistic. It cuts the door yep. right off. The guys come inside, they see her and they realize, Oh, you know, we can't salvage this. And then immediately we're aboard Gateway Station back on Earth. And what we realize will be a dream, which is her meeting uh, Burke from the company. And it's interesting. He makes a comment, which is really stupid and utterly unrealistic, that in 57 years, she had drifted through the core systems. Yeah. How fast could she possibly have been moving to drift through core systems, plural? I'm Mm -hmm. sorry. No. That seemed really silly and there was no reason for it. In a movie that is so technically careful, that made no sense because that would mean, like, if in 57 years you drifted through three star systems, you're pushing like 0.75 c, like points, like 75 percent of the speed of light, yeah. almost, um, or maybe a little more, or a little less. The point is, this is a lifeboat that blasted away from a ship at a few hundred kilometers an hour. It's not going to go faster. When it yeah. runs out of fuel. So it just yeah. seemed really stupid and it caught me this time. It had never caught me before. But the point is, we learn, even though it is a dream, a nightmare. <laughs> no one has happy yeah. dreams in this movie. Yeah. Um, that she had been adrift for 57 years. That's why she doesn't recognize Gateway Station orbiting Earth. And what's his first name? We should give it to him once. Oh, like I don't Carl remember. or Simon? I'll look it up. I got it. Bob. Bob. It's always Bob with us. <laughs> Carter Burke. Carter Burke pretty sure it's carter burke give me a sec i'm burke i'm carter burke i work for the company but don't let that fool you i'm really an okay guy you know he's with the company with the Whalen Utani corporation and of course we already know not to trust the corporation because it was the corporation that ordered the crew of the nostromo and remember these guys are just truckers
2: mm-hmm. to set
0: down on the planet lv426 to check out the ship when the one guy got the facehugger on it. Mother, which was the name of the computer that controlled Nostromo, received a message from the company, which had passed on only to their android to preserve the alien and kill the crew. Obviously, that didn't work that way. Yeah. Uh, this is why she's so angry with the company. But her, her nightmare is, or you know, I guess the, the piece of her nightmare is interrupted when she dreams that she has a chestburster. Mm -hmm. and then she wakes up and she's in a sweat and we realize okay she really is on gateway station but she's still having nightmares about her uh you know her first waking memory which was probably waking up in the hospital and having burke there you know it's interesting because like i guess because you'd never seen the movie before did you realize that the corporate the the company was bad
1: oh yeah Waylon Utani is just awful um, their their umbrella corporation, they yeah. I mean, that also comes from just like outside knowledge of Wayland Utani is just trying to get the aliens so they can make bioweapons. Yeah. Um, that's just like as as far as I'm concerned, that's just kind of common knowledge of anybody who's orbiting around yeah. the alien franchise.
0: Well, they even do it in um Alien versus Predator when it's just right. Wayland Corporation run by this guy named Wayland who's the same actor as who plays uh Bishop. Uh, okay. Which is which is neat because that character is also in Alien 3, but it's not the bishop android, it's the guy who they modeled the thing off of. They, okay. You know, these movies do not have a continuity to them. They keep fucking around with <laughs> them. And then of course, Ridley Scott, who directed the original Alien, he got back into it with Prometheus. Everyone said it sucked. So he said, God damn it, I'm making three more of them. And <laughs> he well, then he made Alien Coventry and it was garbage. Again, technically beautiful, but just a shite story. <laughs> You know, I think after the third one, they should've just stopped.
1: There's lots of things that are like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? And then we get to see again an added on scene where she's sitting in what we quickly realize is like a a greenhouse room, uh, a green well, room with a
1: sort of. It's it's just like a waiting room because it's they've got some plants there, but the plants don't look terribly real. They realize that the back wall it's it's just a projection. big old TV.
0: Yeah, and she actually turns it off at one point. Yeah. And my guess is it's in the hospital because when you see the windows, we actually see medical personnel.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And this is, again, the scene that I think Cameron added back in in response to criticism from people like Roger Ebert who said, why don't we get to see her mourn over the loss of everyone she's known? And here we learn that she had a daughter who was about to turn 11. Well, she died at age 66 or whatever it was and was cremated and that's it. And there's no new information. And she seems pretty upset about that. As you would be. Of course, and it's interesting because the scene makes more sense because now we sort of understand, now that we've seen her mourn for her daughter, now we understand more of why she takes such motherly ownership of Newt Yeah, because it's a new daughter for her.
1: Yeah, it Uh, it makes sense. Newt becomes the new surrogate daughter, whereas for a lot of other people, I'm sure without that context, there's a lot of people scratching their heads going, yeah, okay, it's a kid, you want to save the kid, but... Like, come on, just get to the drop ship.
0: But this just adds more context to it, that yeah. this is her chance to save her daughter. Exactly. And then they go to the meeting, which, again, is a little bit expanded from the original, mostly when they say that, you know, we're cancelling your, you know, we're cancelling your flight license. And it's the same thing, like these, like at one point, remember, she says, did IQs drop sharply while I was away? But <laughs> she's right, because we've been at this for three and a half hours. How many times do you want me to tell you the same thing? And... Like, she's right. These people are unbelievably dense, but then so are the Marines. Like, like even, even Roger Ebert said, like, you know, no one wants to listen to her. She's the only one to see an alien. So what does she know? Like, that's what, yeah. that's actually from Ebert's review. And he's right. It's amazing how fucking dense these people are. Um, S- to ahead. me,
1: I, I didn't interpret This as them being dumb. I interpreted this as them being as smart as they can be. To just turn this hearing to nothing but the company's favor. I'm sure that they do believe Ripley. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that they do. Li- okay, yeah, everything that she's saying is true. However, if Wayland Utani's representative admits that she's correct, then Wayland Utani is at fault and that's going to cost us money.
0: Yeah. And yeah, and that's quite possible. And it's also entirely possible that they were thinking in real time and, and thinking, okay, if this thing is real, let's go find out. Because, of course, mm-hmm. we learn very quickly that Carter Burke sends the explorers out to look for the ship. So maybe all at once they're thinking about past liability and future profits. Mm -hmm. Here's the problem. We have no indication that that's the case. We have no indication that this is anyone other than Carter Burke plotting and scheming. Right. At no point does he say I was acting on behalf of the company. Mm -hmm. In fact, the way he pleads his case to the, to the surviving Marines, it's, it, it seemed like he was on his own here. He was, acting on his own before anyone else could get a quote-unquote cut of it. Because yeah. salvagers' rights seems to be a big part of how these people work. Uh, and it was in the original alien. There were a lot of arguments over, will we get our cut? Right. There are entire scenes about that. So clearly this is how space law works. You, know, you, you keep what you find. But, that, scene, but, you know, but the, that line is missing. I was doing this because the company told me, we have mm-hmm. known since the day you told us that this, this, this is something we wanted. Right. And that's just, that's a little clumsy. It's, it's a, you know, it's one of those, I always say that most problems in films in terms of the plot could be solved by one sentence. They didn't write. Right. This meeting ends. And it's funny how bloodless it seems because Ben Lewin or whatever his name is, like sort of the head of this, this board of inquiry, all at once finds her at fault, her incompetent, punishes her, fires Mm -hmm. her. And then five seconds later, she says, why don't you go check it out? And he shrugs. We don't have to. Like, he's so smiley about it. In retrospect, us talking, it, it, I do get the feeling that he's already plotting this. Yeah. But we never learn that. You have to tell us. Mm-hmm. Or she has to put it together in her head and say it. But by the time all this comes out, these people are just trying to save their lives. No one cares about the company.
1: Right. At the at the end of the day, Burke, Burke always cares about... company in that so far as if he gives the company what the company wants the company gives him what he wants um he's a company man in that sense and and he will he will worship at the at the altar of weyland yutani until the minute he dies
0: well at the same time though he seems very concerned that he that because remember he says if this gets out then corporate steps in and no one gets their cut so Mm -hmm. yes he's a company man but he wants to make money for himself like he's a well, he's yeah. a 1980s capitalist is what he is. Yeah. He's the greed. He's Michael Douglas saying greed is good. Mm-hmm. You know, so we learn that for, thir- was it 20 or 30 years, there's been what they call a shaken bake colony on LV426. They've been, you know, they create these atmosphere processors uh, because in the original movie, they had to wear um, full on spacesuits. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we learned that there's, you know, they've no one's complained about any, you know, horrible organisms there. And that's sort of it. Yeah. And then we cut to, again, all these added scenes, which I think ruin the tension of the movie, which is we get to see the colony, which we know has a name, Hadley's Hope, Mm -hmm. which they never mentioned before. If you don't see that sign, you'd never know the name of it. Right. Do you know what? The corporation probably just calls it
1: Colony Colony LV-4219 or
0: whatever. Yeah, LV-426. Yeah. That's probably what they call it. Whalen-Utani Colony. Um, Yeah. We see an office building and we see the kids playing and everything's Mm -hmm. under construction and just like any good industrial sci-fi film, there's always some dickhead, you know, welding something. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's just it's unbelievable. There's this great TV show and I I think it's called Seven Days or Six Days or something like that. and It was just about this guy who could go back in time five days. Okay. and so they just send them back to fix problems, so like there's a terrorist attack, they send them back five days to find the terrorist shit like that. It was a bad series that lasted one season. But at <laughs> some point, like always in the bay where this time machine is, there's always some guy welding, and at one point, the star looks up and goes, what is he even welding? He's been doing this for days. Like... <laughs> It was just a really good wink at the camera, how yeah. stupid it is. But yeah, they're sort of walking along and they mention, oh, there's this family out there. They want to know if we'll honor their claim. And they say, yeah, whatever. And mm-hmm. then we see Newt's family find mm-hmm. the alien ship. Uh, we, and we know inside is the alien, which has come, had come to be known as the Space Jockey. I don't know why that's the name it had. But growing up, that's, w- that's what I always knew it was called, the Space Jockey. Okay, that's the guy with the um, the elephant nose. Okay, and of course we know it's inside because we've seen Alien, and yeah. you know Mom draws, drags Dad back to the the APC, and he's got the face hugger, and of course immediately we know what's going to happen. So yeah. why show it? Yeah, why show that's, that?
1: That's fair enough. I mean, there's there's one thing that I. I love that's in this scene um and it's got nothing to do with the alien franchise it's the fact that mac mcdonald makes an appearance uh Uh, he is the he's the captain of the of the colony it's the the big old dude who's walking along with the with the coffee cup in his hand that's getting complained to by the subordinate sure this is the second second sci-fi piece that mac mcdonald has done where he plays the captain of something and gets killed within the first the first uh red dwarf the british tv series
2: Really? He, he oh, okay. plays
1: Captain Hollister on Red Dwarf and he huh. he dies in the f- very beginning of both and I loved it and that just made me smile the first time I realized who he was.
0: I wonder if that's on purpose.
1: Oh, probably. Because apparently, Red Dwarf
0: was made around the same time.
1: Yeah, he's he's pretty apparently prolific for playing American characters in British shows. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. Huh. That's interesting. I did. I had no idea. Of course, I don't. I don't like British humor. My friends growing up I was part of this. A small group of friends. We used to call ourselves the Social Vacuum Club because our social lives lived in a vacuum. We had no friends. Uh, well, that's not true. I had some friends, but none of us had a lot. Anyway, they all loved Red Dwarf, mm-hmm. and I freaking hated it. I never found it funny. I never found it interesting. It always seemed so stupid to me. Yeah. And but yeah. So that's that's a neat thing. I didn't realize that. Uh, In the meantime, we go back to the station and we see Ripley getting ready for work. And Burke introduces her to Lieutenant Gorman of the United States Colonial Marines. Yes. Um, It's interesting that in this future, there's still a United States. They still have a Marine Corps, but they have a Colonial Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. You know, he seems very, very competent, very professional. We won't realize till later he's very new at this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's the, you know, but the thing is at no point, well, that's not true. At one point he does freeze when everything, you know, goes to hell, Mm -hmm. but up until then he seems very, like he's very much by the numbers, but you know, obviously that's the wrong choice, but everything about this, this mission with the Marines is, is a shit show and is really quite stupid, but we'll get there. In the meantime, we learn that the colony has, they've lost contact with the colony. There's going to be a mission. They want her to come. She, she seems actually kind of willing to go. Until Burke digs in and says, I've seen your psych reports. Get
2: back on the horse. Spare me, Burke. I've had my psych evaluation this month.
1: Yeah, I
0: know. I've read it. You wake up every night. Your sheets are soaking with sweat. I said
2: no, and I mean it.
0: If he hadn't said any of that, she probably would have gone with him.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's when she turns around and tells him to go straight to hell. Like, "You're, you're digging into my personal life and just trying to get more dirt on me. Why in the hell should I help
2: you?
0: Yeah. Well, you know what it is? is She feels manipulated, and that was Mm -hmm. the problem in the first film, is that she is the one who discovers that the company had ordered the crew dead, Mm -hmm. and that the android, played by Ian Holm, I can't remember the name of the android, he was their science officer, he had been told crew expendable. She discovered that by accident, and she felt desperately betrayed. And, you know, the idea that the company was sort of fucking with her head, was messing with her, and was happy to kill her over it, This is that again. Here's the company screwing with her, the company monitoring her, pushing just the right buttons. And she tells him to go fuck himself. Yeah. But then she wakes up that night in a sweat and agrees to go Mm -hmm. because, you know, she clearly realizes this is never going to end until she puts her nightmare to rest.
1: Mm -hmm. And Um, we get the most relieving part of this film where the cat is not in peril.
0: Yeah, no I'm kidding. The very next scene is, again, another one of those. It's very obvious. It's a matte painting, the mm-hmm. star. And then the yeah. Sulaco passes by. But again, the Sulaco, that ship, is
2: I don't think gun. I'd ever.
0: It, yeah, well, it's got that big ass cannon on it. And, yeah. you know, like so much else of, the, of this technology and so much else of the film, we never quite see what we're looking at.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, If you want a good look at the Sulaco, you got to go find a picture of the model. Right. right? But it's such a badass looking vessel.
1: Well, yeah, it it is just covered at the front end by things that you can only assume are some kind of cannons jutting off the front of it or sensors it, or and sensors that's, or and that's something
0: scary cannon on the side. Yeah. It's, that's like it's a third of the length of the vessel.
1: Yeah. Um, scary cannon on the side, more cannons on the bottom. It's got like, genuinely if if you look at the shots that you get in this film the whole ship looks like a gun the engines yeah. look like a shoulder stock yeah. it's got a uh, grip coming off the bottom it's got a damn sight at the very front of the gun or at the front yeah. of the ship yeah, uh, where you assume maybe it's looking. the bridge it's yeah so uh, well designed
0: and then you get a tour of the ship when everyone's asleep which is added mm-hmm. uh you okay. know you see all the rifles and you see all the gear and you realize oh this is you know every, this is wow like they're really loaded for bear Um, which, you know, and then you see everyone wake up and this is what makes absolutely no sense. Why are you only sending a platoon? This ship is clearly designed for a lot more people. Yeah. Why are you only sending a few dozen? It seems so silly, especially like, even if they are publicly and in front of Ripley saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks Ripley. We don't really believe these are a danger. They must honest to God, be listening to her yeah why is it like if you told me that you know there's a colony that's gone missing and these things shred people with their claws and they're Mm. you know eight feet tall and they're primarily built of teeth i think i'd send more than a platoon and they never explain why they send so few is it just that's all there is but they left from earth you're telling me there aren't a few more soldiers on earth i don't
1: know man i'm sure that there's like lots of different ways to kind of hand wave this away. Whalen yutani is looking at this as another expendable mission that they don't, act, they don't have full confidence that the crew is actually going to come back from. So they're sending a minimal compliment with uh, their pocket ace of Ripley. Uh, I yeah, don't know. but they're,
0: they, I mean, remember, it's their colony. They, have, they co-financed it. They manufactured mm-hmm. the, uh, the atmosphere processors. They have a huge investment here to salvage this colony. I mean, Burke himself quote-unquote, refuses to authorize its destruction. Not that he has a choice, but, you know, clearly this is about protecting their investment and investing in the future with the Xenomorph, Mm -hmm. um, which, by the way, for those of our listeners who don't understand why it's called that, Xeno means alien and morph means to change. Mm -hmm. Because this thing changes from the tiny little, the tiny little, you know, sneaky-looking thing to the big, scary alien. That's why it's called a Xenomorph. It's better than calling it the alien, I guess.
1: <laughs> I mean, they, they do reference other xenomorphs that are not the alien.
0: Um. Well, yeah, it is a xenomorph, and no one seems to know what that means. Um, yeah. They talk about the Arcturians, and it's like, yeah, the one you had was a man. Oh, you can't tell what those Arcturians, or it yeah. doesn't matter. Like, yeah, clearly yeah. there are other aliens in this this movie's universe. We just never get to see them, mm-hmm. uh, ever, in fact. No. And we get to meet the Marines, and these Marines, we've already met them before because you and I did uh, Heartbreak Ridge. <laughs>
1: yeah, pretty uh, much.
0: Like right down to the sergeant with the with the sink cig- with the cigar in his mouth. The yeah. fact that the first thing he does when he wakes up before he even gets <laughs> up before he even sits up in bed, he puts the fucking stogie in his mouth. Yeah, but but that's fine because now we know who he is. Yeah. Do you? I mean, is there anything about that sergeant you don't know? He's a yeah. hard ass. He's got it together. He'll be the you know the, the last one to crack. He's. You know, he's been in it for life. The core, you know, he is the core. He's Gunny Highway. Yeah, he's, you know, he's Gunny
1: Highway. He's Sergeant Avery Johnson from the Halo games. He's, he's that prototypical character.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, the other characters like Frosty. Why is he called Frosty? You know, he's he's steel cold and he's unwavering. And the macho people like uh, Bill Paxton's character, you know, the amazing Bill Paxton. James Cameron loves to put in his films. Of course, he played the guy with the uh, the Mohawk in Terminator. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, he's been in a lot of his films. And, you know, he plays Private Hudson. And, you know, you could tell right off the bat that Hudson is all talk. Yeah unfortunately the added scenes with him actually make him worse a worse character, even more annoying, but it's pretty clear. This guy is, you know, he joined the corps because he couldn't think of anything else better to do with his life and he can't wait to be gone. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we get to, you know, Vasquez. we meet, she's this very masculine. She's very tough. She's clearly one of the boys, but I actually don't think they overdo her. Like she seems to fit in with the rest of these guys pretty well. Yeah. Like they're all over the top, all of them. But she's oh yeah, not there's more, not
1: a subtle character among them.
0: No, but she's not She's not overly so. Mm-hmm. They are not making her compensate because she's a girl. Any more than the pilot has to be more macho than the others. Or the medic, she doesn't have to, uh, Corporal Farrow. Sorry, Corporal Farrow is actually the pilot. It's uh, Corporal Dietrich. She's the medic. Like, Pharaoh, Dietrich, and Vasquez, the three women on board, they clearly—they like, don't have to act it up. They're clearly accepted. Yeah you know, there's the, the one scene about her gender is, you know, which is a funny line, right? Yeah. Hey, Vasquez, have you ever been mistaken for a man?
2: No. Have you? <laughs> oh, Vasquez.
1: <Ow>. He <laughs> just too bad.
2: That's an awesome <laughs> yeah. line.
1: No, it, it's, it's good. That was one thing that, uh, that I kind of came into this really watching. I remembered, um, the, uh, oh, what was her name from, uh, Predator 2.
0: Oh, uh, the Predator Two. Oh, I know who you're talking about Mary Conchito you know. Alonso's character. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Yeah, I just I could remember kind of again. It was your voice in the back of my head going, "Yeah, well, she is a she is a woman, but she's not really a woman. She she's just another dude. But they put a woman in the role because she's an honorary isn't. boy. That's the term, yeah. Uh,
0: Roger Ebert's used, the honorary boy. Yeah, uh, and,
1: yeah. And, she's and the I, same
0: character. She she's the same character as Mary Conchito Alonzo's character from Predator yeah, Two. Yeah, yeah, uh, and. You know, they sort of, they wake up and we get to see how macho they are. It's a a two or three minute scene, but we really get to understand who they are. And then we have the cafeteria scene. And this, of course, is our first hint that that Hudson is all talk and no walk, which is do the knife thing. Mm -hmm. He's happy to let someone else do it. But when Bishop does it to him, uh, he freaks out and he's (laughs) upset. Like he doesn't even, once it's over, he doesn't even like... Shake himself out of it. And go, yeah, man, that was awesome. Like he's still freaking out when we leave him. Yeah, and I, I love that. But it's pretty clear these people are not new to the job. Like that, that they're veterans. Yeah, you get that impression. The interesting thing is the, the knife thing was a really clever way to introduce us to the fact that Bishop is an android. Yeah. And then, of course, we get, without ever recounting in detail what happened in the first movie, everyone now knows why Ripley doesn't like androids. The way that the android tried to kill Ripley in the first movie was horrifying. He rolled up a magazine and tried to jam it down her throat. First of all, from an acting point of view, that must have been terribly uncomfortable. Because you see him ram it into her mouth. It's terrible. And why does he do that? Because... That that was what was available for the character to kill Ripley with. Mm-hmm. So I could understand why she has an issue with androids. And, of course, Bishop is, of course, we're going to realize he's a hero. For people who had seen the original film, there's no reason to believe that he isn't going to do exactly what Burke tells him to. Because, remember, we see him later dissecting one of the facehuggers, and he seems to be fully on board with what Burke said. Well, they're going back to the company labs. Mr. Burke was very specific. Yeah. Another interesting thing is that right off the bat, these, and and this is what sort of drives me nuts about these Marines is how desperately unprofessional they are.
1: Yeah. That, that did kind of strike me as well.
0: Like if you were entering into a, like, it's not the, it's not the shit talk and the sex talk. That's yeah. I've been around enough soldiers because you know, I was one Mm -hmm. that's all very, I mean, it's a little over the top because it's meant to be Marines and they're the hardest core of the hardest core. What got me is the way they sneer at Ripley. Yeah, apparently she saw an alien. Oh, what do you fucking do? Well, no, you're going into a combat situation against something unknown that may have cut off an entire colony and killed 150 people. Maybe you ought to listen to her. Mm -hmm. Even at the briefing, like I get that they're cocky and they don't have a lot of respect for Lieutenant Goldman because he's been just sort of attached to them. And it's clear now why that is. They had to give him the briefing, but they didn't want someone who was so attached to their troops that they would care more about the troops than the mission. Right. Cause the mission has always been the alien. Yeah. Right?
1: Always get the alien, bring it back, make the weapon.
0: Yeah. Recover the colony. Keep and if and, and at the very least keep, keep the xenomorph. Right. Uh, but, and I understand why they're disdainful of him. And I'm even understanding why they're disdainful of a civilian among them. I get mm-hmm. that. But once they realize she is a survivor of an attack, with the exception of Michael Bean's character, Corporal Hicks, no one seems to give a shit.
1: Well, yeah, I mean they're they're so cocksure in what they've already done. And there is a line at one point where they say, Oh, is this just gonna be another bug hunt? Yeah. So maybe I don't know, maybe these Marines have been out before they've gone and they've heard They've dealt with these aliens, whatever these bugs are, these unnamed or unidentified some other,
0: bugs. Some other evil alien they had to yeah. clear out. Yeah,
1: And and that it just it wasn't a problem. So that's what they're going into this with the mentality of is, oh, this is just another one of these stupid little things that freak normal yeah. people out.
0: Yeah. Most of them seem pretty professional when they actually get into the fight. Mm-hmm. But up until then, everything they do is so stupid. Yeah, none of these Marines seems to have a brain, except uh, Sergeant A. Pone and Corporal Hicks, which is probably why they're you know first first and second in command of the platoon, (laughs) or I guess second and third command of the platoon. But these soldiers seem to lose like for combat veterans, they seem to be pretty unprofessional, uncareful. Mm -hmm. Now maybe it is that everywhere they've gone, they've they've been the overwhelming force that the American military almost always is. You know what I mean? Like the American military has not faced a full-on army. That it couldn't wipe off the face of the map mm-hmm. since, like, Korea in Vietnam, it was because they were dealing with a, a guerrilla army. Yeah. But then the you know then they invaded Panama and they wiped them off the map. They inv- you know they, they fought the Gulf War in, in 1990, 1991. The Iraqi army didn't stand a chance. They invaded Afghanistan again. You know it was a guerrilla war in Iraq. The Iraqi army could not possibly have resisted them. And and that's what this is. These guys are used to just rolling in and rolling over all opposition and maybe it just it doesn't occur to them these aliens may be at least as scary as ripley says yeah and they're a little arrogant about it and you know one point she says you know i feel like a fifth wheel around here what can i do and the sergeant says i don't know is there anything you can do part of me wants to think he's a sexist prick but it's clear he's not because it's obvious he respects vasquez and pharaoh and uh dietrich Mm mm-hmm you know, the gunner, the pilot, and the medic in, in that order. What I love is how quiet Hicks is.
1: Yeah, uh, he's, not, he's not over the top. It's just observing and thinking.
0: Yeah, he's actually the second actor in that part, eh? Really? Uh, they, they replaced him uh, partway through filming. I don't remember who it was, but when you see him asleep on the way down, they, it was actually a shot of the other actor. Oh, they really? Did. That's why you don't see Hicks in the APC. They didn't want to have to refilm them.
2: Oh, uh, well, okay. I'm not sure. you
0: do see one scene but it's him alone in a seat sleeping you don't see anyone on the other side it's a close-up oh, okay uh, but, they, but they didn't refilm the entire scene i guess they figured they didn't have to because hicks was in the corner and th- so they just kept the other character it's only one shot Yeah, they replaced him and i don't know how the original actor did but they had to refilm a few scenes but he's so perfect for the part because the one thing about michael Bean, the last time we saw him which was in uh, terminator where he played reese Reese is really high (laughs) strong. Like you get the impression that Reese only stops running because he's bleeding out or passed out or something. Right.
1: Yeah. He's constantly going. It's just a constant adrenaline high.
0: Whereas here he's just sort of quiet. We never see him issue an order until he yells Marines. We are leaving until he realizes Sergeant a is gone and he has to take control. You know, he's, he says very little, he's very subtle uh, he has it together. He's he's the one who says, what are we dealing with at the briefing? Like, he's the sort of character, he's probably the only character that I would like to have seen in a prequel. I would like to yeah. have met Corporal Hicks on his previous mission.
1: Right. To see, uh, to to get some context for why he seems to be this lone island of, of calm and calm. concentration. Yeah.
0: Well, the fact that he falls asleep on the way down. Um, yeah but then i was like that i mean i've never done a combat drop into a into a war zone full of xenomorphs to be clear <laughs> um, but anytime uh, like i i suffer from uh, really bad motion sickness so i don't mm-hmm. play first person shooters but it's really bad in vehicles so and i was thinking about this uh, the other day like today is is november the 12th november the 11th of course in canada is remembrance day and when my unit used to pile into a a bus to drive down to high river to march I slept the whole way there and the whole way back. And it was like clockwork. I would get in the vehicle. The the vehicle would go into drive and I was asleep. And the same thing when I got on the bus on the way to Wainwright for training, I was immediately asleep. And someone asked me like, you think you're Corporal Hicks? Like, no, I just don't want to vomit. But (laughs) like in his case, it's just that he's chill. Like he's got a, like we learn. it's like a 50 minute flight from the Sulaco to the landing zone. It's not over right away. No. and, if I, had to, if I had to spend 50 minutes rocking around in that thing, I would have been barfing all over the place. So right. I would have done the same thing. I would have immediately gone to sleep. But I really like how quiet he is, and he is the one who seems to respect Ripley the most, even though he only says one, word, uh, one sentence to her before they reach the, the back in the APC after the debacle. Um, right. He's an interesting character. Michael Bean's a very good actor. He's like when we were saying just before we started recording about Adam Driver. You always know what he's thinking even when he says nothing like Kylo Ren in the movies. Uh, it's the same here. I always know what's on Hicks' mind.
1: Yeah, um, he's he's just such a well-acted character. We really... You'll, you'll learn a decent amount about the character just from seeing how he reacts to things. Yeah, as opposed to him, you know, being proactive and expositioning all over the place.
0: Yeah. Like, even the scene where Capone says, oh, I don't know, is there anything you can do? Yeah. He's talking to Hicks when it happens, and Hicks sort of laughs and smiles when he sees her get in the loader and run it. Right. Um, but it's you know, part of it. He's kind of laughing at a or maybe he's laughing with a pone. Like she really is competent and he's sort of laughing that all the other, Mar- it's almost like he's laughing at these other Marines who don't seem to think she can be competent. Yeah, I mean, look, this guy, if he's a corporal, he's been in the Marines for a while. He's clearly not a stupid guy. He's used to being around competent people, men and women. Just interesting to, to see his reaction that he can appreciate the joke that a pwn has been shown up by Ripley getting in that puppy and going for it. Uh, <laughs> but he doesn't have to say anything. No. Um, you know, they load up the APC and the APC is kind of neat. It, it looks to me like something that's designed for like an urban environment. Yeah, very like much it's designed so. to fit down narrow alleys, which leads me to ask, why the hell is it? That it's only got one door. <laughs> There's only yeah. one way in and out of that thing. And why uh, is and it that's... on the side? Well, yeah, you'd expect it to be in the back. Yeah, or you'd expect them to be one on each side, but this is the way they designed it. And okay, but yeah, it looks like it's sort of an urban vehicle, and a pone is pumping these guys up, and it's all this you know hoorah bullshit. Right, and there's nothing to worry about. We come here, and we're gonna conquer, and we're gonna take some. Is that understood? Yeah, That's sir. That's what we're gonna do, sweetheart. So, we're going to go and get some. You, All right, people, on the ready line. Are you Yeah! Are you Yeah! Where are you? Where are you?
2: Hudson!
0: Go. Get on the ready line, Marine. Get some to die! Get on the ready line! Yo! Oh, yeah. up. God damn it Get hot!
2: Absolutely badasses. Let's pack
0: them in. Uh, one thing I noticed that very much like in Vietnam, everyone's got some shit written on their armor. Mm-hmm. The neat thing is these these guys look like 1980s American soldiers with high tech gear. Yeah,
1: very much so. <laughs>
0: Helmets look the same other than the the webcam, you know, the, the GoPro on it and <laughs> the fact that they all have microphones and but the armor, it looks like they could have pulled in a U.S. Marine from 1985, given on the pulse rifle and sent him onto set. Right. And I like that because when you take a soldier and you make him super sci-fi, you stop thinking of him like a soldier and he starts to look like a video game character. Yeah. Whereas here, these are grunts. You know, you look at them and go, i could be watching a movie about Vietnam or a John Wayne movie about the Second World War. Mm-hmm. And I like that. It all feels so realistic, except the, the way the, the dropship opens its wings. But whatever. <laughs> uh, it, you know, it was a weird design choice. And if I had been the one filming that scene, I would have had them open at the same time but whatever. And so they load up with their weapons and they get into the, sort of the belly of this drop ship. And of course the pilot has uh, has aviators on because of course she does. Of course. And she behaves like every other pilot out there. Yep. I love, you know, like the Lieutenant Gorman has no armor, no helmet. He has a pistol, you know, he comes across like, I don't know, an officer from the first world war. He's like a gentleman with a pistol in his hand. Mm-hmm. It seems so silly. But that comes from an army that doesn't understand that it can be overpowered.
1: Yeah, it, I mean, maybe that character is just meant to be, like, fresh out of school. He is just, this is his first proper assignment as a commissioned yeah. officer. Actually, it's
0: his second, remember? Because they ask how many combat drops. He says, uh, 38, simulated. Right. He said, how yeah. many combat drops? Uh, two, including this one. So, in yeah. fact, Gorman has seen combat. But, again, how, maybe it's just they rolled in and rolled over whatever the enemy was. Yeah, but, you know, they sort of look around at the cameras and, you know, we get to know now we know everything about uh, Drake that we need to. I I was wrong. I called him Frost before. Frost is actually the black dude. Uh, Drake is the other one with the steady cam gun. And he says, you know, Drake, there's something wrong with your camera. And he headbutts the wall and and fixes it. You know, of course, that's bullshit, but it communicates so much about both characters that Drake mm-hmm. is just mean. Yeah. And, you know, he's he's the heavy gunner. He's uh, you ever see a uh, full metal jacket? Yes. Animal, the M60 gunner, big guy. Yeah. This is him.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Except, but I mean, like that. That's always the M60 gunner, though. It was the same thing in uh, with um, uh, what's his face's character in Predator.
0: Jesse Ventura, the same. Sort Jesse of Ventura. Thank you. Uh, yeah.
1: That is just uh, that character.
0: Yeah. Even a uh, Martin uh, Mull uh, character from House. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 You we know, we're talking about here, same yeah. thing, the M60, the bigger guy, because well, yeah, it's a fucking heavy gun, you get the bigger yeah. guy to do it, but they're always meaner than everyone else, and that's the way it is. So they sort of fly in, and what I love about the set, we never really get an idea of what this place looks like. No. Between the dark, because it's always dark, mm-hmm. and it's always cloudy, and it's always raining, and everything's always cast in shadow, we never truly understand what this place looks like.
1: Yeah, the best that we get is like full shots of the reactor building. But all we, oh, know we see a
0: full flyby well, and we still yeah. don't know what the goddamn thing looks like.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's the best that we get is of the reactor building. We know that there's a settlement, a amount of distance away that's yeah. connected by an underground tunnel. But otherwise, it's just grainy, crappy camera footage, which yeah. I completely buy. It makes perfect oh, yeah. sense.
0: Well, it adds, you know what it adds? It, it makes it like a haunted house. Yeah enveloped in the fog, you're never going to truly understand what you're looking at because a haunted house, when the fog clears and the sun comes up, doesn't look very scary anymore. Right. And it's the same with the aliens. We never really get a good look at what these aliens look like. The first time we get a full view of the xenomorph in the movie alien is when she blows it out the airlock and it grabs hold of the frame. Okay. That's the first time in a two hour and something movie that we see the full alien. (laughs) Now, part of that is that when you see it full on, it looks like a dude in a rubber suit because that's what it is yeah that's part of it part of it is it's much more terrifying when you only see it in bits because you're never sure what's coming at you is it the mouth is it the teeth is it the claws is it that tail like it's just this this moving horror of bits that can hurt you Mm -hmm. Uh, and i think that works so much better than had we seen it coming
1: yeah as soon as you see the alien in aliens then that's it. You've you've seen what the enemy looks like, and you can put that together now. You don't have to see the whole thing to know what it looks like anymore. Yeah.
0: But you never in this movie see it what it truly looks like. Like even at the end when you see him fight the queen, you never really see what the queen looks like. You never get just a shot of the queen standing there in all her majesty. She's always moving and hunched over and crumpled up. You never full on see it.
1: Yeah, you get you get pretty good looks. Pretty good. Um, pretty good looks. the first big combat that they've got under the reactor and then i think you get really good visuals of it during the last big shootout where uh where they're retreating through the base
0: yeah but at the same time like they're very rarely standing still they're always gripping a wall or they're crunched over or on the ceiling so it's it's because it happens so fast it's hard to orient yourself
1: yeah Uh, that's fair
0: you know, as opposed to, like, the thing from another planet where it's walking at you with its arms out in front of you like goddamn <laughs> Frankenstein, and you can see it from head to toe, and the, and the, uh, the camera gives you time to size this thing up. Right. You never get that chance here. It's all moving too fast. It's actually one of the things that Ebert complained about. This movie is unrelentingly painfully intense. Yeah. like the, From the moment that Vasquez, Vasquez yells, let's rock, until the moment the airlock closes after the queen is gone, this movie doesn't stop. Right. Um, it's it's really a rough film if you're not used to that sort of intensity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here it's all still build up, like the like. There's you know it's sort of action oriented. Like the drop ship drops off the APC. They drive in. They do this hardcore spread out. We realize that that Hudson is our tech guy. He does all the technical stuff. He, you know, he runs the bypass. They go inside. And and again, I like that, you know, I liked in the original theatrical cut that this is the first time we've seen the inside of this place. That yeah, it looks like a company like this. You're probably quite familiar with the sort of the feel of this place, purely industrial, no creature comforts. This is a work environment. And we see that there's been a running battle and they're sort of describing it like they must have used seismic charges and look where they held a barricade here and look at this and look, you know, look at they see the holes in the floor. Well, that must be the blood and sort of slowly but surely. And there is a sort of a cheap shot in here when uh, Drake and someone else, I think maybe it's uh, Hudson or whomever, they break into that one room and there's the
1: um, uh, yeah uh,
0: the, there's the uh, hamster. The hamster. That's yeah. not in the film. That one bit is in the film because it's it's a cheap shot. It is. I think so. It didn't need to be there because it takes out. Uh, you know what? It adds a bit of humor, or at least a little bit of, uh, a little bit of relief, yeah. when you want to be dialing up the tension. Yeah. Because you just entered the haunted house.
1: Yeah. It, uh, it gives you a moment of levity from just this deep intensity, and especially for an audience who is going in knowing what's around the corner. Yeah. You know like, that the alien's there.
0: You know, the other quote unquote levity bit is a few seconds later where Hudson spits down the hole and someone Hmm. pushes him and it's their way of punishing him. Like you asshole, what are you doing here? So for the for the for the nanoseconds, you might you might snicker at "Oh, Look at that idiot Hudson. His own people are smacking him over the head and saying, hey, focus. Yeah. And it's almost like hitting the audience. Hey, guys, focus. And yeah. I think the hamster takes away from that a bit. So they wind up, you know, they find the lab you know, with the facehuggers in it. And I remember this scene from before the movie because it's in the trailers. Okay. And I remember how terrifying that looked. Oh, it's the first time you realize, I mean, other than the name of the movie, Aliens, plural, you realize, oh, my God, there's more than one of these things. Right. That, that makes it that much more terrifying. It's interesting that when one of the facehuggers in the, what would you call it, the jar, the specimen yeah. bottle, makes a swing at Burke and Hicks says, oh, he loves you. It's love at first sight. I don't understand why Hicks doesn't like Burke. We've had no indication up until now that Hicks has a dislike for Burke. Like, I don't get that. Maybe that yeah. scene that was filmed and just left on the floor on the cutting yeah. floor. I don't know. S-
1: scene that was filmed and cut, or he just doesn't like some something about him. The fact that he he's a corporate man coming on this military expedition yeah. with no knowledge and no experience.
2: Yeah.
0: He
1: he adds nothing but company oversight.
0: But we never get the impression that Hicks cares. Um, There's only two interactions they have in the entire movie. There's this one, and there's the one at the end where he says, "No offense, we're going to waste you." Yeah. Just before you know, just before everything goes to hell again, (laughs) because the only two times they actually talk to each other. Right. Any other time, it's a three-way conversation between Hicks, Ripley, and Burke, which is when they talk about nuking from orbit.
2: Yeah.
0: Every question that Hicks responds to is prompted by Ripley. Well, you're in command now. Yeah, that's right. Well, I think we should nuke from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Yes, he's responding to Burke but he's actually answering Ripley. You know? right. In the meantime, very, you know, very quickly, they're using these motion detectors and they come across a Newt. This is where I want to comment. This movie brilliantly uses sound. That motion sensor, like mm-hmm. those, the sound of it, that's bullshit. Yeah. You wouldn't want something that loud in a comedy situation. Yeah. Yo, Hicks. I think we got something here. behind us one of us but it's scary mm-hmm. because sometimes they have the music that i'm, I'm not even going to try and mimic it i'll just patch i'll just patch it in but that sort of the strings that move when something scary happens on screen mm-hmm. it happened in the dream when she dropped her uh, glass of water and it happens here when newt rips in front of the camera Hold up. Right. You know, the, like yep. it's just this ripping of a musical like of string instruments.
1: Yeah, it's just a sting. Yeah.
0: Is that what it's called? Sting?
1: Well, that, yeah, that, that sort of sound is just a, a score sting.
0: Okay. Yeah. They use sound against the viewer. I've never seen that before where it's, it's used to hurt the audience. And the sound of the motion tracker, the way it beeps and gets scarier and louder and scarier, but it's never annoying to listen to.
1: No, it, it does a very good job of not being over the top, but it's constantly driving forward. It It's amping up with the tension that everything else is amping up. As the thing on the monitor gets closer, the beeping gets slightly higher pitched. It gets faster um, to the point where you're waiting for it to just be a tone, because yeah. that is that is what our ear is just listening for. Yeah, but because we, we know never what's gonna get there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's going to happen. It's a language that you don't have to teach the audience. But it's really neat. And we see Newt. And again, I like that this is the first time we see Newt in the theatrical cut. Yeah. That the only hint we have of her life before is the picture we see that she's living like in an, like, a, I don't know what it is. Like, it's a maintenance. Yeah, just hatch- a
1: maintenance crawlway or something.
0: Yeah. Um, because she's, you know, she's making her way around the air hatches. Like in the, in the bit before we learned that she and the kids like to play in the air hatches and that's how she knows it. But I Mm kind of like the idea that was implied in the theatrical cut, which is that she very quickly learned how to survive by existing in the, uh, in, in the air ducts where the aliens for the most part don't fit. Right. And you look at the way she's living and she's very clearly figured this out. She has rations. She has blankets. And yet, strangely enough, she has a picture of herself. Mm-hmm. Like, it was an award for something, I think.
1: Yeah, uh, a citizenship award or something.
0: Yeah. And that's kind of neat that she's trying to, like, that's what she, had, that's what she grabbed when she fled her room. Mm-hmm. And we learn that her name is Rebecca, but everyone calls her Newt. She's an absolutely broken human. It's a very tender scene where Ripley wipes her face. And that's something that, like, that's where Ripley gets to be the girl without being the 80s girl. Yeah, because there, there's be no feminine. Soul. Yeah, well, she gets to be yeah. motherly. She gets yeah. to be motherly, because none of the other, well, there's only three women here. Vasquez certainly wasn't going to think of it, but uh, Corporal Dietrich, the medic, she doesn't think to wipe her face. Yeah, She's healthy, and then she walks in, okay, let's go. She follows uh, Lieutenant Gorman away, but Ripley is a mom, mm-hmm. and so she does mom things. Because remember, her daughter was 10 years old, which is like more or less the same age as, as Newt, and we learn that you know, it's not going to matter. All these soldiers, it's not going to be a big deal. Then we see that Bishop is, you know, examining one of the uh, the xenomorph facehuggers. We learn, you know, he seems a little sort of zoned out and he's not paying attention to anyone. And we start to, and, and this is meant to harken back to the android from the original film, who was always sort of spaced out and in, in his own world. Okay, it's driving me nuts. I got to find out the name of this guy. Give me <laughs> a sec. Ash, that's his name. His name is Ash. Okay. Ash Bishop. They all seem to have simple names so right. yeah ash is the science officer from the nostromo who was acting on company orders who tries to murder ripley by ramming a rolled up magazine down her throat which is terrifying and he's displaying the same sort of aberrant distant behavior and it's already very different than the nice android the polite and helpful android we met in the, uh, the mess hall who right. is happy to joke around with the guys with the knife yeah. thing um, because clearly they know this guy, like they know Bishop and because they're willing to do the knife thing. So they know him.
1: Yeah. They've um, worked with him plenty of times. They're, mm-hmm. they're on a friendship basis at this point.
0: Oh uh, yeah. Like when you remember, remember when he says, you know, do the knife thing goes "Oh no. And they yeah. convince him to do it. He's willing to do something purely for the morale of the troops. Mm-hmm. He's friendly as an emotionless Android can be. And yet here he's sort of very spacey. And again, it's meant to harken back to Ash. In the meantime, they find the personal trackers of of the colonists. They follow them into the basement. It's all very tense. We get to see that the inside of this um, you know, the the basement floor they're in was like sub-level 6 or something insane like that. It looks just like the space jockey's ship from the original Alien, which is say these things build like a a hive Mm -hmm. using mucus and a god I don't want to know what. And they see humans stuck to it. And it's really cool that we are almost as limited as Burke Gorman and Ripley are because they can only see the shitty uh, helmet cams of the soldiers. Right. The soldiers themselves can't see a lot because there are no lights. But mm. There's very few lights, you know, like they all have helmet lights or sorry, they have shoulder lights, but they can't see a lot either because it's muggy and they can't see, you know, like it's dark and there's, there's a lot of steam and there's smoke and, because of all this crap they've put on the walls, it's hard to tell where anything is. Like it creates a very disorienting effect for the audience.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, uh, it, it twists things and it gives, you know what it is, it gives mm. smooth corners where everything else has been very angular.
0: Yeah, it really does. It, it makes everything organic.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Of course, this uh, is all the art direction of H.R. Giger. Right. Who's the most, like I would never have wanted to meet this guy in real life. Like <laughs> no, the creepy shit he designs. He actually did art direction initially for the 1984 Dune. Really? And Lynch said, fuck no. Hmm. When Lynch says you're too weird for me, you know, you've gone <laughs> a step too far. HR Giger, like the aliens, very sexual in a gross yeah. rapey sort of way. The way it, it the way it, it, you know, the face hugger rapes you. Yeah. And then destroys you on the way out. And the, uh, the sort of phallic inner mouth that it can kill you with. And like, it's, it's a very rapey design. But if you look at H.R. Giger's art, some of it, like it's, there's one of it, there's one piece of art. and I don't remember what it's called, but it's clearly meant to be a phallus penetrating a female.
2: Hmm. But
0: it looks like this, this, and it's like, you look at this guy and go, dude, how do you get dates? Like, I don't get it. Um, it. But his stuff is very disturbing. Yes. And Cameron uses it brilliantly.
1: I think so, yes. Uh, um, when I was watching this, I, I pulled up some HR Giger art on my phone just to kind of have a look and kind of contextualize yeah. where the where the roots of all this was. And, and you have yeah, since. Well, <laughs> I try not to think about it. Um, but... Everything that he does is very rooted in sexuality and just disruption, I think, and, is, is and the best way to put yeah, it.
0: And sliminess. And Yeah. He did a, there was a video game, an adventure game in the 90s called Dark Seed. And it takes place, in, and he did the art direction for it, and it takes place in a mansion that is essentially this. And then okay. they made Dark Seed too. Apparently it's quite good, but I was never into adventure games, so I never played it. But yeah, it's, it's very disturbing. You know what it's like? It's like a David Cronenberg's body horror. Yeah. By the way, David Cronenberg is in this, uh, this week's episode of Star Trek discovery. Oh, is he is fucking disturbing by the way. Uh, mm. <laughs> and he's going to be a recurring character. Just the idea of David Cronenberg in the cheery future of Star Trek scares the hell <laughs> out of me, but then he's in a uh, night, uh, nightbreed, which is a movie that I really want to do with you. Okay. Uh, he plays a psychi- uh, psychiatrist and an ax murderer. Uh, that's not fair. He's not an axe murderer. He's a scalpel murderer. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, back to the movie we're actually doing, which is them in this hive now. And they come across the one woman and she's awake and she keeps screaming, you know, help me, help me. But we've actually missed something important here, which is that Ripley clues into where they are and says, Gordon, what are those rifles fired? And he says, explosive tipped caseless 10 millimeter rounds. And he says, uh, yeah, you're under a fusion reactor. And he goes, Holy shit. And instead of Gorman simply instructing his men, sling rifles, do not fire, here's why, he doesn't tell them why they shouldn't fire. And he has Frost, or he has the sergeant collect the clips of yeah. their weapons, which is stupid because the soldier's going to have more than one magazine. Yeah, but exactly. Gives them all to Frost, who's real thrilled to have a, a, a saddlebag full of explosive tip caseless rounds. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the steady cam heavy guns, obviously, there's no clip for them, but they have sort of a connecting piece that mm-hmm. he makes them give up. And of course, Vasquez keeps extras. Yeah. And so we know immediately that there is going to be firing because Vasquez and, and, uh, uh help me, Drake, uh, Drake, have now have functional guns. Uh, what's his name? Hicks pulls out his old style pump shotgun for close yeah. encounters, oh. uh, which he gets, you do you and know, he does get to use it. Um, yeah. But again, that goes back to sort of the cavalier attitude these Marines have of you know writing on their their gear, and he's got a he's got an unauthorized weapon, and yeah, it's like really you know it's it, yeah it's
1: it's you put it perfectly. It's just the cavalier attitude. It's it's these guys doing this the way that they want to do it, and they're yeah. going to do it their way, and I don't give a damn what anybody else says. Uh, you know, you you do make a striking point that they don't explain hey, by the way, you can't fire in here because you're yeah. going to blow the whole place up. It's just, oh, course, just take the magazines.
0: Yeah, but of course that sets up them firing and and creating yeah. the peril of we got to get out of here because we wrecked the thing. Yeah. But that could have been, oh my god, you know, we can't fire here. It's like, you know, you choice. D- damage the reactor or get killed. What's it going to be? Yeah. Um, because they're all firing in the end. They all managed to reload their weapons. Why? Because they have more than one magazine. Duh. <laughs> um, but But it just shows that Gorman's an idiot. Like, he's he makes a stupid decision that no even half competent officer would ever do. Right. But he does it. And so, of course, they find the one woman. She has the chest bursting. They torture. The aliens come out of the woodwork. They start knocking off people. One guy with a flamethrower gets hit. How is it he gets killed? Oh, yeah. He gets acid sprayed in his face. But something, so one of the yeah. Xenomorphs gets killed. He yeah, turns the to Xenomorphs the side.
1: Gets shot. Yeah.
0: yeah. He torches Frost, who drops Falls the bag. Off. Yeah, but he drops the bag first, oh, right. which is on fire. because then it explodes, kills a bunch of other Marines, mm-hmm. and just all fucking hell breaks loose. Yeah. And there's shooting, and it's very confused because we we only see a shadowy shot there. We see the view through a bunch of the head cams. Where's a And They got him. Let's get the fuck out of here. My God, what's happening? All that sort of shit. Gorman freezes, and Ripley gets into the you know the, the driver's seat of the APC, and we're off to the races. And there's sort of there's this fighting withdrawal, and they manage to get everyone into the APC, not before Drake is killed at the last minute, before, you know, Hudson is burned, before they wreck the APC, and there's this finally this sort of chill moment where Hicks, you know, gets... Ripley to calm the fuck down because she's wrecked the APC. She's she's destroyed the transaxle, which I assume is the axle between the first the front and back wheels, I guess. I don't, or is it just a space I, term?
1: Honestly, I'm not familiar with it. I just assumed it was space term for transmission.
0: Okay, because fair enough.
1: Because if, if you're driving something in four-wheel drive at a very high speed, you'd thrash the transmission.
0: Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I, I got nothing. Um, <laughs> you know, there's this sort of this calming moment where we see that Gorman has been injured just because they're bouncing around and he smacked his head. Mm-hmm. Everyone's freaking out. Vasquez says, well, let's nerve gas him. Well, we don't know. We should nuke from orbit. And Birch says, no, no, I can't authorize that. They say, well, you know, Hicks is in charge. And he says, yeah, let's nuke it from orbit. It's the only way to be sure, which is an iconic line. Look,
2: I'm not blind to what's going on, but I cannot authorize that kind of action. I'm sorry. Well, I believe Corporal Hicks has authority here.
0: Corporal Hicks's
1: this operation is under military jurisdiction and Hicks is next
0: in chain of command my right corporal Yeah Yeah,
2: that's right Yeah Look Ripley. This is a multi-million dollar installation. Okay. He can't make that kind
0: of decision. He's just a grunt No offense none taken Pharaoh do you copy? standing by. Prep for dust off. We're going to need immediate evac. Roger.
2: On our way.
0: I say we take off, nuke the site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Right. Nuke it from orbit is the only way to be sure. I have heard that mentioned in more than a few games and movies since. <laughs> it's an, like, that's the thing. This was the first serious military sci-fi movie, I would argue.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Like there's space cadets and that sort of shit. Right. And Star Trek isn't military. No. They're always presented as explorers first, as you know, as sailors first, mm-hmm. but these are hardcore Marines. This is military sci-fi and yeah. it's the first of it. And, and so I think that's why so much of what they say has made an impression and these, these iconic lines echo right even silly ones like they mostly come at night mostly by the way that actress that's the only that's the only movie she's ever done she's an elementary teacher in california and they still make her friends still make fun of her over the about it (laughs) you know it's a Uh mostly good movie mostly it was just the way she said it but you know it's fine but it is a little weird in the meantime they determine that they're going to get on the uh carryall and fly over here but of course. That's not going to happen because the no. aliens got there first. And it kills, you know, Corporal Pharaoh and her co-pilot with the worst, most unfortunate name ever. Spunkmeyer.
1: Spunkmeyer puts his hand in something sticky as he gets back onto the ship.
0: Yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> and then gets penetrated by the alien off screen. Yeah, yeah.
1: Spunkmeyer like, gets penetrated.
0: Thankfully, they don't. That could have been a, I mean, you know, a Marine like with a name like Spunkmeyer, oh, yeah. you know, he gets one of a thousand nicknames. Thankfully, the movie spares us this and he's dead. And then the, uh, the pilot's dead. And actually it's one of the most telling deaths because first off, there's a door, there's a sliding door between the cockpit and the rest mm-hmm. of the APC. Of course, there would have to be because it's a space vehicle, but it opens the door. She looks around to see the alien there. She reaps for her pistol. And then all we see is from outside the cockpit, this smearing of blood. Yeah. And it's, it's better than, I guess the best death therapy it's so terrifying. He's yeah. like a queen. Cause the alien is like a Cuisinart with a tail. <laughs> it's like a fucking blender. You know what I mean? It's like, she goes splat. Yeah, pretty much. But she, but we see her still moving. So it's not instant. Mm. It's actually quite terrifying. It, it um, is.
1: I mean, it, it lends so much to all, you know, is that this woman was killed in a horrifying way,
0: but almost all the deaths up to that point have been that like the soldier, who they say, where's Basky? where's basky Well, yeah. he were, uh, you know, he was dragged off and all we see is, you know, the last bit of him, we see the web, you know, his helmet kind of going, Aah! and it cuts yeah. out. Like you never see the thing right near the end. Actually, Hudson remember that the claws grip around his face and drag him down into the floor. And yeah, like, you know, this this movie, like James Cameron learned from the slasher flicks, the Friday the thirteenth, and all those, that the best deaths are the ones that that you don't quite get the look at. Like, yeah, you get to see, you know, uh Freddie slice and dice a guy or, you know, um, you know, uh Michael Myers stick a knife in someone's head, but it's almost more terrifying when there's a, a flash of light or a flash of dark and there's a dead body there. Yeah. And you think, oh my god, what happened? Like that's more terrifying. You don't know what to expect.
1: Yeah, um, it's it's a creative way of using the human imagination against itself because there's yeah. nothing that a director can come up with that's going to terrify everyone, but everyone's own brain can come up with something that will terrify yeah. them.
0: Yeah, because there's nothing more terrifying than the unknown. Exactly. Like the, when you don't, because if you see the alien, you think you see the alien kill someone, you think, okay, I can, I know how to defend against that yeah i know how to defend against uh mike myers i just run faster than him but i ask you dope- him to star in love guru i missed that joke
1: michael myers mike
0: uh, Myers. I know, the film. I know of the film oh uh, <laughs> it was too bad this is your last episode anyway uh, so yeah so you know now the apc or sorry the uh the apc is trashed when the uh, dropship crashes into it and this is where they discover you know they've got a little bit of You know, what they've got a a few uh, flamethrowers. They got a few magazines, and then this is added. This is just from the uh, the director's cut, which is the sentry guns. Those are completely. Those were completely left out, and I think this is the one scene. That was added. That's worthwhile because we get to see the aliens being, you know, throwing themselves against mm. these turrets, and how they don't care that they've died because they're hive—they're hive animals. Yeah. They will sacrifice, sacrifice themselves for the hive. Because so many of these other scenes, with the exception of her learning about her family, they're not needed. Yeah, like on the flight down there, all that that talking by Hudson, we're so badass. We got this gun, we got that gun. That was all cut for the theatrical version. Oh, really? And so yeah, so you just you have to guess that Hudson is a dink based on his attitude. Mm-hmm. But in the in the director's cut, he tells you he's a dick. Yeah. By by just being stupid by saying stupid shit. Yeah, um, by
1: being over the top machismo. We look at everything we've got, we don't need uh, we don't yeah, we need got, Intel. We,
0: yeah, we got pointy six, we got ho- we got uh harsh language, like really dude. Yeah. Uh, so at this point we, we sort of we know how this is going to end. That Bishop is going to go and crawl through a, a pipe and get to an uplink tower. He's going to fly the other Uh, drop ship down this will take x amount of time because they got to get off planet because all that shooting has done enough damage to the fusion reactors that there's going to be an explosion right by the way fusion reactors when they explode do not create thermonuclear explosions they create steam explosions but that's another matter uh whatever a 40 megaton nuclear explosion sounds scary and it certainly looks good at the end of the film yeah um and of course, this is where we also learn that Ripley has figured out that Burke is behind all of this. He is behind ordering the people to investigate the ship. He is behind everything. And this is when we realize Burke really is the bad guy that she always has suspected him of being and that the audience always suspected of being. But now finally we see it confirmed.
1: Yeah, he, he starts going off, well, you know, if we play our cards right, you and I can get so much out of this. Set on- for life, and yeah. Yeah, the, the only reason that Burke has now decided to try and cut somebody else in is because he's been caught.
0: Yeah, and then um, this is his desperation. But we know that that's yeah. not even true there because, of course, Ripley goes to sleep in a, some part of Med Lab with Newt, wakes up to see two of the the living facehuggers who are in those tubes, you know, clear water tubes. They're in there. They're locked in. Of course, the plexiglass is unbreakable. They sort of wave for help at the security camera. We see Burke turn it off. Hmm. They set a fire to set off the fire alarm. They break in. There's a great scene. I actually would argue this is the most, this is the best action scene of the entire film. Newt and Ripley versus the two face huggers and eventually the Marines.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I would agree because it's got them. It's got the highest. risk.
0: Yeah. The highest stakes because there comes a point where you're being beaten over the head with action so much that you stop caring about the action. Yeah. But this one is very different because it's not too much. It's not a bunch of macho guys with machine guns. It's. Mm. Uh, It's two pretty much defenseless people, because at this point, Ripley has been shown how to use a pulse rifle.
2: Yeah.
0: And she set it on top of the bed because she found Newt sleeping under the bunk. So she slept under with her because Newt is so used to hiding. She set the pulse rifle on top of the, the bunk and Burke took it, you know, but it's an excellent scene. And this is where, you know, this is, you know, the, ha now I know who the murderer is. And they gather them all in the study and, you know, Inspector Poirot, you know, Inspector Poirot says, the murderer is murderer yeah. Burke. And this is, again, only the second, re, you know, the only second interaction between Hicks and Burke when he says, we would know what had happened, that you were impregnated. And I said, yeah, well, they would just kill you in cryosleep. And, you know, Hicks looks at him and says, yeah, okay, we waste him, no offense yeah it's only one of three sentences he says oh he likes you looks like love at first sight and then no offense that's all they ever interact in the meantime by the way uh gorman has woken up and by the way he ain't in charge anymore and he doesn't even pretend no you know it's
1: he just gets it he understands he's been out things have changed roll with the people who seem to be on top of it
0: yeah and he listens to corporal hicks yeah um You know, this reminds me very much of the old Vietnam movies where the new, you know, the the green lieutenant, you better listen to his sergeant. Yeah. uh, And when he he doesn't, shit goes wrong. But I like that because that sort of that trope, that Vietnam War trope. Well, this was 1986. There were an awful lot of movies like that, including, by the way, Platoon, which we really got to do at some point. Yeah. Um, Anyway, this is sort of the, I'd like to say the final battle, but it's the third final battle, (laughs) which is them making an escape. Burke making a run for it. He gets killed. Vasquez and Gorman are killed. Hudson is killed. Gorman and Vasquez are sort of trapped in the air ducts without a gun. Gorman pulls a grenade. That explosion causes Newt to slip and fall through an air vent, and she is dragged off by the aliens. Yeah. Hicks and Ripley, now the only two survivors, manage to drag themselves off to a landing pad where Bishop we'll be waiting for them because he's finally got the drop ship down and she sort of gears up motherfucker like this is the the macho is in this entire film is the girl loading up
2: yeah pulse rifle
0: and the, the cocking of the weapon slapping in the you know it's like right out of commando Where it's like forty-five seconds of weapons porn.
1: Yeah, it's just magazines being slapped. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, it's and it's funny. But whereas Rami and I laughed at that when we watched that and made fun of it in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Here it works; it really does.
1: Well, the difference I think is that that was done out of just dick stroking egotism. This is yeah. this seems to have a a true air of desperation and yeah. his mom uh, going
0: after her child. Figuratively yeah, speaking.
1: Yeah, exactly. There's there's nothing here that is reveling in its own glory. This is purely we're demonstrating just how dedicated Ripley is to this yeah. cause.
0: And how much she understands the situation. She's taking every she's taking as much as she can carry with her yeah. and, <laughs> and 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 taping it all together. makes it look like she's got this badass weapon. Yeah. Uh, it's it's cool. Like it's really it cool. And so she sort of goes down and into this basement where of course the Marines were, she leaves flares on her way out. One thing we did miss is that Hicks gave Ripley a tracker, which looks like a watch. Oh, yes. And it's got a, it's got the same sort of BB tracker on her, but Ripley gave it to Newt. And so now they can find her, yeah. but she does find it and she's not there. It's It's been torn off her arm and she starts crying. But at the same time, uh, Newt wakes up she's been you know glued to the wall or whatever it is she sees an egg open up she starts screaming and Ripley comes running grabs her makes a run for it and walks into the middle of the queen's nest
1: yeah the you know she runs in and stops and looks around and you don't see what she's looking at you just yeah. see Ripley fucking terrified
0: and and, ca- and the camera waits and wait it makes you wait yeah. like 10 seconds before it shows you it's 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 awesome it's such,
1: such like you, good work.
0: Oh yeah, like and you she, want to scream, what are you seeing?
1: You know? Yeah, and she does this and, complete turnaround and you're still not sure exactly what you're seeing. All, you can recognize the egg pods on the ground, but then there's this other translucent tube that seems to be yeah. hanging from the ceiling. And, and we you follow that and it leads up to the queen's ass. Yeah,
0: yeah. And then <laughs> the queen, you realize, so good. oh, she's really big and angry. Yeah. And it's neat because she sort of negotiates with the queen by showing that she's got the flamethrower. Yeah. Firing it into the air. Yeah. And then when she and then pointing it at the eggs. And if you notice, then the drones, the normal xenomorphs, in one of the few times we actually see them head to toe, by the way, yeah. they pull back through the corridors because mm-hmm. the queen has told them to, or they understand to one or the other. And then one of the egg sacks opens and she looks at her like, Oh, really? You're gonna double cross me? Flamethrowers, the entire uh, egg farm fires those the grenades uh, the grenades into the egg sack yeah and makes a run for it gets in the elevator and goes up and very quickly realizes that the queen knows how to operate the elevator. Yeah the uh, queen
1: gets buttons
0: <laughs> yeah but you know what the xenomorph that, that killed corporal pharaoh in the cockpit of the, the drop pilot, ship yeah. it knew how to open the door. Yeah they yeah, cut fair. the power. Yeah. These things are not as stupid as you think.
1: No they're they're animals they're a hive mind but they're still intelligent
0: i mean it's entirely possible that opening the door into the cockpit he, he just smacked his hand against the panel and happened to open it yeah. you know what i mean that's possible because remember they were beating against the walls in med lab earlier and they were charging the turrets mm-hmm. um and testing it and didn't keep going after the gun stopped Right, they just wanted to get. They, you know, they were just preparing the way. So yeah. it's hard to tell how intelligent they are, but they're intelligent enough.
1: They remind me a lot of of coyotes and wolves, very intelligent pack hunting animals.
0: Yeah, also a little bit of crow in there. Crow,
1: yeah, absolutely,
0: yeah. Except crows use tools, of course. Yes, uh, you know, um, well, of I mean, so, bears, so do bears, but bears use tools, yeah. right? They use twigs yeah. to, to dip yeah. Into, Sticks, yeah, twigs to dip into uh, beehives. In the meantime. They get back up to the platform, uh, Ripley and and uh, and Newt get back to the platform where Bishop had been waiting with the dropship, but it's not there. And there's this very sad scene where she says, "Newt says we're not going to make it." And says, "I'm sorry. Close your eyes." And then you know the dropship comes up behind. They get on, and in the least shocking thing ever, the dropship smacks into some pipes. You know, they're two minutes away from destruction. This, you know, this reactor's falling apart around them. So there's shit everywhere. The dropship hits a pipe. And when the, and when the legs of the dropship pull up, one of them doesn't quite close. Gee, yeah. I wonder what's hiding in there. Yeah. In the meantime, they land. Like, I mean, they fly away. There's an explosion, a 40 megaton explosion. As we learn, they yeah. land on Sulaco. She congratulates Bishop and he starts barfing up milk because <laughs> of course, the alien queen has skewered him, tears him in half, and she climbs out of the drop ship. What would you call that? The wheel landing well? Gear, landing gear. Landing well. gear well.
1: Yeah. Well, sure. Yeah, Here's the thing. Something. She
0: is way, she's way too big to hide in there. Yes. This is the problem with the queen. Her size changes depending on what the camera needs. Yeah, uh, and that's a little annoying. It's a little bit like the uh, the dropping stone wall, the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> it, it, it's only as fast as they need it to be. And of course, there's another fight. You know, Newt gets into the the crawl spaces beneath the flight deck, and Ripley comes away, and she comes back again in the power loader. And of course, the most, I would argue, the most iconic line of the entire franchise, which is. from her you bitch Yeah, and then it's a fight of two queens that's what this is this is two queens and they're on equal footing Ripley is now just as tough physically Mm -hmm. as the alien queen is and just like in the first movie what does she do she blows the bitch out of the airlock and that's it it's over you know Corporal Hicks is put back into sleep the top half of Bishop is put into sleep (laughs) they go to sleep and that's it that's the movie And it's Um, it's
1: very just that ending is just so well done. It's Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. dramatic and powerful, but it's not over the top.
0: No, because we know she's going to win. Like it's 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 an action film, but it's the way she does it by going mono a mono. Yeah. She gets in a fight with the alien, just like Schwarzenegger got in a fist fight with the Predator, Mm -hmm. just like Danny Glover didn't blow away the Predator and Predator 2. He fought him on his own, literally on his own turf, in the, remember, in the ship. Yeah. Um, she got to be the action hero in mm-hmm. the way that all action heroes do. Or the end of Commando when Schwarzenegger kills, what's his name, the psycho, uh, yeah. by beating him up, which was a stupid bullshit macho fight. <laughs> all those other fights are macho Schwarzenegger bullshit. This one I buy.
1: Yeah. Well, there's, no. she's powerful, but she's still limited. Like, Mm. there's no point where Ripley suplexes the alien queen.
0: No, she uses her skills and her knowledge of the ship to win. Mm -hmm. It's actually pretty brilliant. In the first one, she blew it out by getting into a a spacesuit, opening the airlock. The alien is almost sucked out, but grabs hold of the uh, the frame. And she takes what I'm guessing is meant to be a grapple gun, but frankly, looks like a harpoon gun with a line on it (laughs) and fires it through the alien and he lets go. But then the door closes and the line is caught. So it starts to crawl back. So she fires the rockets on the uh, lifeboat and and torches the thing. Hmm. Which is why I always thought that if there was going to be a sequel, we would learn that the alien didn't die. Right. But they decided not to go with her. Because, you know, that would have been too much complication. Because then we would have been seeing, you know, a buildup over 20, 30 minutes while the xenomorph found its way into, wait you know, Gateway Station or whatever. This was much better. Yeah. They just repeated the ending and they showed that it wasn't a fluke that Ripley survived the first time. No, yeah. no, she's badass.
1: Yeah. She's she's strong. She's smart. She's very capable for not being, you know, a military trained person.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah. James Cameron does that really well. He shows women who are genuinely strong, not fake you go girl strong, mm-hmm. genuinely strong, but at the same time, still women. They're not like, they're not, you know, macho. You know what I mean? Right. Because she, he does it again in one of his very next films, which is Terminator 2.
1: Hmm, yeah, that's Sarah true. Sarah Connor,
0: right? Yeah. Sarah Connor is a, I mean, she's a little mentally unstable, but she's a genuinely <laughs> strong person, but she's not Schwarzenegger with, you know, less muscle mass. Right. You know what I mean? And same here. Sigourney Weaver wins because she's mentally strong, but she's also smarter than her enemy. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I love that, you know?
1: Yeah. I, I absolutely do too. I think it's one of the uh, Ripley is one of the iconic, well-written characters. Just like yeah. somebody who is, their character is so well put together that they don't yeah. just have to bank on one thing to be. This is my character,
0: and, and they kind of finish her off really well in Alien Three. At least the director's con- uh, the director's cut. The, the theatrical cut was a disaster uh, oh. because the <laughs> uh, well the uh, the studio interfered a, a, a lot. Oh. Um, and William Gibson, you know, the guy who wrote Neuromancer, he wrote the original treatment for Alien 3. And they sort of stole from it and made their own thing. And then the studio got involved and David Fincher, I think, walked away. But then he came back and did the director's cut, which is an excellent, excellent cut. I would argue it's the best of the three. And their depiction of Ripley, who at one point says to the alien, you've been in my life so long, I don't remember what I was like before you. They do a magnificent job. Is in the third film, Nude is Dead. She right. killed. Uh, she dies in the opening credits, uh, and so does Hicks. You know the, the character has a great arc. She just goes from being the first officer on a essentially a trucker ship, like a cargo ship, to being this military advisor who's trying to face her demons, to being sort of like this sort of the second in command of this of this group of survivors behind Hicks, to being the hero of the film, to being the survivor who just wants to make it end. You've never seen Alien Three, I'm guessing. No. You absolutely must watch it. So so last thoughts before we, we end this, because we're almost as long as the film here.
1: Was I suppose it, we are.
0: It's a two and a half hour film, but yeah, we've gone uh, one, but if it's worth if it's worth talking about, it's worth talking about. Absolutely. Um, so any last thoughts?
1: Uh this is just an excellent film. I highly recommend it. Um I don't think that there's many people that I wouldn't say, hey, this is this is gonna be a good time. Obviously, you know, it's a Not bit kids. age-gated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't show I this. Mean, you don't, don't
0: watch like a, a toddler or something. Yeah,
1: don't show like a seven year old this. But um like no, I, I I wouldn't be hesitant to recommend that some adult go and watch this if, if you haven't, just go and sit down and enjoy two hours of your life.
0: Is this enough to make you go back and watch Alien and then go forward and watch Alien Three and Alien Resurrection?
1: Probably. I will probably watch them. Um I don't think that I'm gonna sit down this weekend and watch them, but yeah. I'll I'll get them done eventually.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I um I respect this movie every, more every time I see it, just for the technical brilliance of, of James Cameron. Like, I, he's just, you know, you could say what you want about his ego and his arrogance and all that. He's a hell of a director, and he's earned the right to do whatever the hell he wants because he's really good at what he does. And, yeah. even, in the one, and even in the one film, like, yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, like Titanic is a Harlequin romance novel set on the Titanic, but it's a technically excellent film. He knows what he's doing. And he's got his favorite music, uh, musician. It's James Horner. Did this, did, uh, I'm sure he did Terminator 2, I think, anyway. I know he did uh, of others. Like, he's got his favorite group of people, and he, he knows what he wants to do with a film, and he does it. And this this is like Terminator put him on the map, but this is the film that made him an A level director, I think. Yeah. He's earned every opportunity he's had since then with this movie. And I love it. Same thing as you. I I recommend it to anyone age-gated, obviously. Though (laughs) I was, I think I was 10 or 11 when I saw it. And I haven't grown up to be an axe murderer yet. So... I'll give it time. Give it time. That's right. I'm only 45. So, on that note, I guess we'll leave it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you later.
1: Bye, everybody.